What do you picture when you hear the word negotiation? Boardrooms and power suits? Uncomfortable conversations about salary numbers and benefits packages? Negotiation doesn't have to be scary. And today's guest is here to tell you why and show you how. And I know you're going to love her. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Hey friends, and welcome to episode 65 of It's About Time, a podcast sharing stories and strategies to inspire women seeking better work, life, and balance. I'm your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick, and today's episode is a few years in the making. Yes, I met today's guest, Lilia Galland, a few years ago at what I didn't realize at the time was her first ever speaking engagement. Clearly, she nailed it and impressed me. During our conversation, you'll hear a bit more about how Lilia and I met, as well as how she is a bubbly and delightful, intelligent powerhouse of a woman. I'm so thrilled to tell you about Lilia Gowland. Lilia started her company because women kept coming to her for support in career decision making. Now, a sought-after speaker and writer on workplace dynamics for women, Lilia is frequently asked to share her insights in publications such as Forbes, NBC News, and Harper's Bazaar. Her book, You Got This, The Ultimate Negotiation Guide for Professional Women, has been described as a must-read for any woman ready to come into her power in the workplace. During the pandemic, Lilia has hosted dozens of virtual programs, baked hundreds of cookies, and costumed regularly for no occasion other than her own enjoyment. In today's conversation with Lilia, she shares how she co-parents with her husband, who is also an entrepreneur, and why a points system is actually one of the most successful tools in their relationship. You'll hear about what a ta-da list is and why she takes time to make one each day. She'll tell us about why negotiation doesn't have to be scary, and you're probably negotiating more often than you realize. Plus, she shares her crying on the kitchen floor moment and how self-compassion changes everything. As usual, you can find the links to learn more about Lilia and her amazing book, You Got This, over in the show notes. And this episode's show notes can be found at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 65. Finally, I want to thank you again for tuning in. And if you haven't yet, I invite you to click the subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes go live. If you like what you hear, you know I'd be so grateful for your review. Your reviews play a huge role in helping others find It's About Time in the search results, and you might just get a shout out in a future episode. And with that, it's about time we get started, so let's get this show on the road. You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman-Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. 
If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. Hey, Lelia, and welcome to It's About Time. I am so thrilled that we are finally making this episode happen. How are you doing today? I am great. It is lovely to be with you at long last. I know. So this interview is probably about a year in the making. Lily and I connected, oh gosh, you know, people give social media and Instagram such a bad rap sometime, but it was, wasn't it during our pregnancy that you and I really kind of connected on Instagram? Absolutely. So our first meeting, our meet cute, if you will, was my very first speech. Oh my gosh. Probably five or seven years ago. So, so it was a junior league, um, a junior league meeting, and I think I was talking about probably negotiation that early on. And yes. I left my journal under my seat. And when I tell you, I just for, for listeners, like this is a journal where I keep my to do lists, my to do lists, which you'll hear about in a second. Um, but most importantly, like every thought that happens in my brain was in this journal, and I realized I had forgotten it. And this lovely woman I didn't know reached out and said, "Hey." I saw that I saw this. I realized it was yours. Found you on social media. Can I pop it by your house and put it in your mailbox? And that was Anna. And so I'm just <laughs> forever grateful for that. And then certainly uh, reconnected more recently when I was when I was prego and finishing up the book. Oh my goodness! I had I had just about forgotten about that. Oh my goodness, Lilia! I don't know if you know this. But hearing you speak at that junior league meeting about negotiation and just being on stage, being a woman with a business who's, you know, designed this life that you love, where you're doing work that you love. I was sitting in the front row thinking, I want to do that. I want to do some, I want to do that. And just happened to come across your, that's right, your journal. And then here we are today. So you, you have been an inspiration for me for probably longer than you realize. Mm, I hope you can hear my face. I am smiling (laughs) big, Anna. (laughs) So yes, this is, this is so exciting. But, you know, in the intro before I, you know, as I was kicking off this episode, I sang your praises, told everyone about you know, what you do, what you've been up to, but I always like to hear it in your own words. So Lilia, would you tell us how you spend your time these days? I spend my time in community with phenomenal women. So my entire philosophy is that meaningful connection builds confidence and that through a sense of community, we can increase our impact. And the way, the form that takes is through public speaking, which again, I think you were at my very first speech, um, and group coaching. And so bringing together these communities of women who want to increase their impact, who want to have a more profitable career and a fulfilling life. Wow. And, and I will say, Lila, I had no idea that was your first speaking engagement. That was your first public speaking engagement because you seemed like such a pro and You know, I love that so much of your focus is on community, which is something that in the last year we have not had very much face-to-face community. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like. You know, I'm reminded 
so I, I wanted to acknowledge what you're describing and that tension between w- what I wish we would call physical distancing, but has you know been called social distancing, um, and the feeling of isolation that so many people, and I think particularly women, are experiencing. And one of the things that I've found is in these moments when I am struggling, being in community with others is transformative. And I remember a specific instance where I was really sick. I had been crying all morning. I just felt miserable, like one of those deep, sick, groggy, awful feelings. And I remember thinking, my eyes are so puffy. Maybe I should move this meeting to to phone instead of Zoom. This is years and years ago when you know Zoom was relatively new technology. Um, but I was gathering these communities of women um, in these small group experiences to connect at a deep level. And I remember, you know putting some cold compress on my eyes and pulling it together. And the minute I saw, and she's very open about our work together, uh, my client, Sarah Basinger, my face lit up. I felt every fiber of my body change to this like, I'm so excited to see you. (laughs) And, And that moment I have witnessed again and again in my clients. And when I think about how I spend my day to day, it comes back to this deep and abiding love for other humans and and that sense of connection. And so when I think about my day-to-day, it's in service of how do we foster that sense of, of connection. And what's so interesting is now it's among women who have never met in real mm-hmm. life. Um, I had clients who've worked together for about a year and they happen to both be in New Orleans. I've got clients all over the country, but um, I had two clients say they got together in real life because they decided they could be shoulders down friends. Um, And so they they had a socially distant gathering in one of their front yards. And and my day-to-day includes that sense of of possibility about like what can we do from that place of grounded confidence in ourselves and one another when we're in those spaces of support. Um, And so for me, that looks like regularly. So I've always worked from home for the last eight years. Um, and I have a now two year old and, you know, co-parenting with my husband who owns uh, two bars here in New Orleans, 12 mile limit and a domino, we trade off parenting responsibilities and we like to call it pod, like the person on duty. (laughs) It's so handy since Felix was a newborn, we've used this and it makes it very clear who the primary person is in those moments. And so like, even if we're both in the living room, I can say, hey, I'm going to run upstairs. Can you pod it up is usually what we say. Um, or I've got a really full day tomorrow. Can you pod? And what I feel so fortunate about and what I think a lot of um, families are navigating now is both the challenge and the grace that comes with getting to regularly interact with your kiddos. Mm-hmm. And so to pop downstairs and get to give Felix a squeeze, hand it back off to his father, and then get back to work is pretty great. And, and I recognize there's a lot of privilege in that because mm-hmm. we're both entrepreneurs and Cole's primary responsibilities are more in the evenings while mine are typically during the day. Pod it up. That is fantastic. Yeah, personal <laughs> duty. That almost reminds me of the concept of Dadder Day that Lindsay Andre shared several um, several episodes ago. That 
it, it, of course, it's definitely not apples to apples, but that she and her husband have set aside Saturday as Dadder Day when he takes the kiddos out and she has that not time off, but, you know, time to to do things that she needs to do. And he's he's got that set aside time potting Dadder Day. This is this is fantastic. I'm loving all of these terms that people are coming up with. Another one that I have found really helpful in our relationship is uh, a points system. And really, I, I say this, well, hear me out because it's not really <laughs> a point system. Um, but one of the, and, and what I'll acknowledge also is that Cole is really primary caretaker um, during the day. Mm-hmm. And we have Felix in daycare now two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those other three days, he really is the primary person. Um, and and what I guess the point system comes in is when we have a blowout in a diaper or a really gross food situation mm. um, or like just a really fussy baby and the other person isn't around, there can be a little underlying frustration or resentment toward the parent who wasn't present. And so we use a quote partner point, a parent points system where we say, oh my gosh, you get so many parent points for cleaning that (laughs) diaper. You get so many parent points for taking him on a walk so that I could do X, Y, Z. And we also have partner points, which is like, thank you so much for taking out the trash. Thank you so much for doing all those nasty dishes, whatever it is. And the points mean absolutely nothing. There are yeah. no numeric values. All of the points <laughs> is the only amount that you can get. Right. Um, and Or so many. I guess all the points or so many points. And it's just a playful way to acknowledge one another. Yeah. And and the other piece is we can request points. It's like, I, I'm going to need some partner points for that. I really showed up. It's like, yeah, you did. Thanks. That's, that is adorable. It almost reminds me of Whose Line Is It Anyway, where – what is it? The points don't matter and the something prizes don't add. I don't even remember. That was such a fun like improv show to watch mm. back in the day just where the where the points don't matter and the winner doesn't really get anything except for the joy of winning that improv game. <laughs> so did you guys sort of arrive at this through trial and error or did you research or, you know, how did you guys come up with a system that worked well for you? Because, you know, that's something that so many people have struggled with in the last year is finding finding a method that works for their unique situation because there's no game plan for this. There's no roadmap. Totally. One of the things that I would stress is since the very beginning of our relationship, we have both prioritized an egalitarian dynamic Mm -hmm. and the expectation was never that I was going to be the primary caretaker and that Mm -hmm. he was backup. Um, And that, orientation that we both shared coming into it, right? I mean, I, I research and study gender for a living. So you can imagine I am very, um, when I was looking at, when I was dating, when I was um, considering partners, an egalitarian relationship was a non-negotiable. And once we had Felix, I mean, there was a point. So for the first six months, I never gave Felix a bath. Um, that was one of the ways that I was able to say, look, if I'm breastfeeding, this is something that only I can do. I want there to be something that I don't have to think about that you can be responsible for. That's, that's what you're signing up for. And so he gave Felix every bath for the first six months. 
um, that has since switched because I really like bath time and Cole doesn't particularly. So <laughs> we, we, it continues to evolve, but those consistent open conversations um, and, and the frequency of them, right? I think for me, I know being seen or being acknowledged is really important. And so that's where partner points became more important. I, I don't think it's particularly important to him, but expressing gratitude is important yes. to me. And it allows for us to have this, you know, playful dynamic that that does actually make me feel seen and allows me to ask for that feedback when I feel like I need it in a way that's like very low stakes. Yes. No keeping score, no spreadsheets, no sticker charts or pulling sticks from a pocket. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. So so in addition to the clear communication that the two of you had from the get-go and creating your own evolving methods for co-parenting, you know, are there any other tools or strategies that are really your go-to for for doing work and life and family? So those are my go-to when it comes to my relationship and parenting and mm-hmm. also really consistently asking for and and, re- and honoring and receiving support, mm-hmm. um, whether that's from my in-laws, from my parents, from my sister-in-law. Um, and that's why it's, it's not parent on duty, it's person on duty. Person on duty. Um, and so granny and mayor and auntie Ollie and all of the people who love him can tag in as pot at any time. That's great. When it comes to my professional life, I use a practice that has been transformative for me and is actually how I knew I wanted to be a public speaker. So I call it a to-da list. And there, there are variations of this that you might find on the internet, but the way that I approach it is um, there's both a long-term to-da list that I do at the end of each year. There's a monthly to-da list that I do at the beginning of each month. Um, And then I can do a daily to-da list practice. And what it focuses on is what's working well. So at at the smallest level, at a daily level, I can end a day and say, there's so much stuff left on my to-do list. What the hell did I spend my day doing? I don't even know. And I can end up in this place of agitation where it feels like the epic list of things to do is unending. And the Russian psychiatrist, Bluma Zigarnik, just so cool, such a great name, such a, like in the 1920s, mm. I love everything about this. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, it's called the, the Zigarnik effect. And she said, things that are left unfinished remain in our minds like a cognitive itch. And that language of a cognitive itch has been so resonant to me because in my own practice and work with my clients, we're so often centering the, the scarcity, what's, what we haven't done, what's not enough. And my commitment is really to flip that in all of my work, is to use a strengths-based approach. Even if we don't feel like things are going well, what are the little glimmers? And so on the daily to-do list, I'm, I don't end my day with my to-do list for the following day. I end it with a celebration of what I have achieved on that day. And I can give you some examples. Oh, yes. The, the way that a day flows is, in my experience, not usually the way I planned it. Right. And so I can have um, design my new website, right? Write copy for new website. And I can have that on my to-do list for months. Right. 
which let's be honest, I absolutely 100% have. And what the Tadalist allows me to do is to say, I can celebrate myself because I've hired a web designer. Mm-hmm. I can celebrate myself because I, I talked to my friend, Wendy Dolan with Get Online NOLA, who, who walked me through the process. And not only did we get to an outline of, of the content I needed to create, but we had this deep moment of connection. She lives in England now. I miss her dearly. And the depth of our connection is something that I want to celebrate in addition to the website copy that I feel a little bit clearer on having talked with her. And the, the acknowledgement of myself for saying, I can celebrate myself, not just for having gotten an outline, but for having reached out and fostered that sense of connection. I can celebrate myself for feeling clearer, for the mindset shift of like, oh, I can write this in the first person. I don't have to pretend to be some robot. Like I'm a public speaker and a coach. People know that it's me writing this, right? right? I'm not a corporation. <laughs> and the shift that happened after that conversation were, were significant. And to celebrate what's working instead of like, oh my God, this project is unending. I'm never going to finish it. To like, oh man, I really took action on that. That's awesome. It, it fosters momentum. And things like the connection that you fostered and the mindset shift that you experienced, those aren't, those aren't items that you write on your to-do list at the beginning of the day with the intention of crossing off when you reach the end of it. That takes that intentional reflection in order to find those wins and those highlights. So I absolutely love that. And back in episode five, and I've spoken about it since then, the concept of having a startup and a shutdown routine as the bookends to your professional day in order to you know, open the loop at the beginning of the day and then close the loop. You, know, you mentioned that concept of the cognitive itch. That's really one of the primary functions of having that shutdown routine and including that ta-da piece where you're not just looking at what you accomplished or what you've crossed off a list, but looking at those intangible, those abstract points of movement and evolution that you experienced, you know, celebrating those wins, being proud of yourself and the progress you've made, and then closing the loop scratching that cognitive itch Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that you can be present in the evenings. Oh, that is fantastic. That is, I love that idea. The ta-da list. I can now 100% see why that journal was so important. (laughs) Right. Right. And and I want to acknowledge that it's not all sunshine and roses. Right. And some of what I include is what I call brave codes, brave conversations. Ooh. Ones that so there's a book called Difficult Conversations written by Harvard professors who have loads of academic and professional research into strategy for negotiation. And there are many organizations that use this book and, and call them diff codes, difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to framing and what are we prioritizing. And and in my practice, we call them brave co's, brave Mm -hmm. conversations, because I want to center the bravery I want to evoke walking into this conversation. I don't want to center that it's difficult, right? It may be difficult. Um, But but celebrating myself for the brave co I had with a, a consultant who I work with who wasn't consistently doing what I had asked. And we ultimately figured out a beautiful workaround um, and it, and it, you know, I, I think 
I ended the, the last email with, oh my God, I really like you. <laughs> right? It was like this, I, I was really thoughtful about how I acknowledged the frustration that I had and the back and forth, the exchange we had, I feel closer to her than ever. And while I was initially planning to hire someone else, I think we're going to continue to work together because, you know, the depth of our connection continued to um, invite deeper connection and conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece on the daily to do list is, you know, when I spend hours in QuickBooks and it is not particularly <laughs> enjoyable for me, but I can celebrate myself for having done it yes. or a friend calls and it derailed my day, right? I can look at my to-do list and I'm like, I did not get done what I wanted to. Let me think back about my day. Let me look at my emails, at my calendar, at my phone calls. Wow. A friend called and really needed support. And so I dropped everything. I, you know, said, let me call you in 15 minutes. Took Felix on a walk and had this really beautiful conversation that allowed me to support her at a, at a meaningful mm-hmm. level. So that's the daily practice. On a monthly or yearly basis, it can be even more transformative or differently transformative, I should say. Because what I witness is when I look back at a month or a year, what stands out is different, right? There's a lot less QuickBooks on my, <laughs> what was resonant over the course of a year. Right. And, and this practice allowed me to see, I was um, a board chair for a nonprofit and I was doing a lot of public speaking as a part of that. And I realized, wow, when I look back at whatever year it was, 2014, so much of what I really enjoyed was public speaking. I'm going to, like, I'm noticing that pattern. Okay, how can I do more public speaking? And soon enough, Natalie Kaharik invited me. She, she, I had talked with her about it and let her know that that was something important to me. And she invited me to speak at that junior league meeting. Okay, y'all. So I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard, or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at AnnaDKornick.com forward slash quiz, I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, and all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules, and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you want to know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? 
let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. And so I was able to, what I call, follow the sparkle, right? That little glimmer of, oh, I I liked that. I don't have to know everything about how it would work or what I would price it at or what I would talk about. I can just say, oh, there's something there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when I follow that sparkle, there's such a sense of possibility. Follow the sparkle. Kristen Brabant, who joined us a few episodes ago, called called it uh, following the universal breadcrumbs. Mm. And I, I love that. And I love following the sparkle. That just, that's such a great Lilia-ism that <laughs> more people need to know about. So in the last two years, you have, it's fair to say that you have experienced a bit of an evolution, perhaps. Mm. Yeah a time of change and, um, you know, we've all in the last year experienced a lot of transitions and changes. And one thing that you probably have on your to-do list in many different iterations is the process of writing a book. Mm. You know, tell us a little bit about the book that you've written and you know what you know what that process was like for you just tell us all about it i appreciate the question one of the so the book is you got this the ultimate negotiation guide for professional women and it is a beautiful blue color. I'm oh, most my, my my favorite color. <laughs> one of my most favorite collaborators and friends is Laura Sanders, who designed and illustrated the book and her the intersection of her skill sets. So she's a comedian, an illustrator, and a designer. And the the ways that she was able to bring to life um what I couldn't have even articulated I wanted <laughs> was astounding. And so she's a delight to work with. She ends the emails to me with, um, and so, so much of the process, once it got into the final iterations was that collaboration, which brought so much joy to what in many ways was a tedious as all get out process, um, but was, was such fun. So the origins of the book, I, I gave speeches, God, I'm, I'm going to say it was 2015, maybe 2016. Um, to really impressive to me, um, female attorneys. So trial lawyers who are out in court in front of judges and juries in a exceedingly male dominated, um, niche within the legal profession. Definitely. And they kept asking me to write a book. They said, where's the book? And I said, well, I don't have a book yet. And I was asked to write for Forbes and started, I think I now have probably around 75 articles for Forbes. Um, But the process for me was I I was writing about negotiation a ton and speaking about it and coaching women on it. And what I recognize is that the consistency with which I was asking 
people the same questions, that I was supporting people with no matter the context, a very consistent approach. And so the 13 strategies that I take readers through in the book um, are based on that experience, are based on, I have a master's degree in public policy and an undergraduate degree in sociology. And so I've really studied the systems that impact women's lived experience in the workplace. And integrating both that academic approach and the practitioner's approach of actually coaching women um, and my own experience with negotiation, what I wanted was to create something that was a delight to read, that was fun and easy and really brought levity to something that the research demonstrates again and again as a source of tremendous stress for everyone and specifically for folks who identify as women. And what came out of that is this book that um, I had an, a colleague email me that she's read it three times, that she was between jobs. She was laid off right before the pandemic. Um, she's in a city that was among the first to get hit, had to pull her kid from school. And it was so early that I remember thinking, gosh, how awful for her. Wow. And we just had no idea what to expect. So she said between jobs when she was transitioning from this very um, senior leadership position in a multinational corporation to totally unemployed homeschooling mm. uh, kiddos um, and navigating a global pandemic and unemployment and financial uncertainty to now being in this new leadership role that she seems to love. She read my book three times. And that to me, and, and even I had somebody... I've had people say like the the components of it about mindset, the components of it about self-compassion and how do we yes. take care of ourselves, that, that, that there's absolutely like concrete strategy, here are words to say, right? That people love sample language. Um, and, I, and I certainly offer that. What I've found to be the stuff that really gets some light bulbs going, and this is true in coaching as well as public speaking, um, is that mindset piece, is how do we come into greater alignment with our own negotiating voice, with what feels authentic and true to us. I share in the book a story from my colleague, Jenny Green, who's among those attorneys. And actually, um, it's funny, she and Natalie both served on this nonprofit board for the Emerging Philanthropists of New Orleans with me. And both Natalie and Jenny were people I asked to beta test my content. So I had them in my home. I think one of them was at Treo, which is now now closed, um, and asked for feedback. And Natalie promptly invited me to Junior League, and Jenny promptly invited me um, to speak in Boca Raton at the association, the American Association for Justice. Um, and what came out of those speaking engagements, what came out of those um, coaching sessions, was this recognition that. It's not just about the, the nuts and bolts strategy. That may be mm -hmm. what people come to me for. But what's really transformative is that dramatic shift to saying you are actually negotiating all the time. Yes. You're actually good at negotiating despite the um, prevailing narrative that women are bad at negotiation and don't do it. If we reframe negotiation as discussion aimed at reaching an agreement, it can be something I had a client say, my God, that's, I do that all the time. That's my bread and butter. I'm great at that. We're 
identifying collaborators, ensuring everyone feels included in the process, reaching a shared agreement that's mutually beneficial, that feels wonderful. And that reframe and, and the support to say you don't have to um, negotiate like, you know, the stereotypical power-suited man in a corporate boardroom. You can negotiate in the ways that feel authentic to you. Lilia, can you say that one more time? Instead of thinking, like, what is that reframe? Instead of thinking of it as negotiation, it, negotiation it's... Yeah, it's discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. Discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. And how, how often do we do that in our day-to-day lives and succeed at it? So when women are asked, and, and I want to be clear when I talk about women, it's folks who identify as women in social science research. I'm a firm believer that gender is a spectrum. There's no right way to perform any one gender. Um, but when we're talking about this, we're, we're talking about the group that identifies as women. Mm-hmm. And the research shows that when women are asked when the last time they negotiated, they say it's likely been months or weeks, sorry, months or years prior. And the one exception is women with kids who say, oh, I negotiate all the time. Do you want to take a bath now? Do you want to take a bath in 15 minutes? Either way, you're taking a bath. Right, exactly. Um, But when men are asked when they negotiate or when they last negotiated, it's within the last week, typically. And that difference is really quite dramatic. And it's because women are seeing more structured negotiations, like negotiating a promotion or buying a car, while men are considering more informal transactions like hey, um, I have another obligation this week. Can you cover my shift? And the difference there is when we can tune in to the informal times we negotiate, it takes the pressure off of negotiations when they are higher stakes. Mm -hmm. Because we're seeing negotiation as something that's already a part of our lives and something we're good at. One point that you made in the book that really stood out to me is that when we begin to recognize those smaller negotiation points, for example, um, convincing my toddler to wear shoes to daycare this morning, (laughs) instead of thinking, well, the last time I negotiated was for a higher salary when I started my last nine to five job five years ago, and it didn't go well. Therefore, I am not good at negotiating. Yes. That reading that was an incredible light bulb moment for me. And I will say that this book 100% is a a delight to read. And Laura's uh, illustrations, the the (laughs) The bacon, the piece of bacon encouraging uh-huh. you to advocate for yourself, as well as the naguaxiation, <laughs> the, the guacamole. And yeah, it's just, it is, it's a great, it's a great read. And oh, I am, um, one thing that I do want to mention is that, you know, even if you, even if you are not preparing for, a major negotiation, negotiating a new salary or um, starting a new job, just the section on self-compassion itself could could stand alone as just a reminder to be kind to yourself 
And when so often, you know, like you said, when we think of negotiation, we think of the power suits in the boardroom and power suits in the boardroom and being kind to yourself don't don't seem to mix. (laughs) You know, they don't really seem like they go together. So I'd love to hear from you what compelled you to make the self-compassion piece such an important strategy when it comes to negotiation. It's both my own experience and the recognition of this need in my clients. I gave a speech in Columbus, Georgia, and it was all about self-compassion. It was not relating to negotiation at all. And I had women come up to me afterwards in tears saying how meaningful it was and that it allowed them to feel seen. It gave them language to support what they were experiencing that they hadn't been able to articulate. And for me personally, the what's, what's been helpful is, you know, I can't, nobody knows what's happening between my ears, right? You can see what my website says. You can see what I put on social media, what I write in Forbes articles. But unless I tell you, you have no idea what's happening between my ears. The author Mike Robbins says, we get a lot of training on how to interact with other people, but we don't get a lot of training on how to interact with ourselves. And what I have found so um, deeply impactful is Kristen Neff's research on self-compassion. So what she found is when um, she was first coming up as a psychologist, the prevailing research was on self-confidence, right? And if you're uh, like, I think we're approximately contemporaries, right? Sesame Street, all of it is, you're the best, you're doing great, keep up the good work, gold star for you. Right. And what, what Kristen Neff found was when we are faced with uncertainty, when we're faced with self-doubt, self-confidence is the first thing to go mm-hmm. because self-confidence depends on our relationship to others, right? It's I'm the best, I'm doing great. And when we are in those moments of deep struggle, we need to find the ways to be kind to ourselves. So the example I use is um, I went through a very strange period in my life and got feedback from a strange person, uh, my husband's friend's husband. And we were at a wedding and he said, my God, Lelia, it looks like you were doing so well. How are you? And based on what he was seeing from my social media, from you know my public persona, he saw I had just gotten in Gambit's 40 Under 40. I had just written my first article for Forbes and was profiled in Marie Claire and Cosmopolitan Magazine. And he was seeing all of these external benchmarks of success, which were true. Mm-hmm. And when he asked me, because I'm me, and we did have some personal relationship by then, um, but he said, how are you doing? I said, I cried 15 minutes ago. Because all of those accolades were happening, but the money wasn't following. Oh. And so I was terrified. that, and the, and the disconnect between all of these um, public-facing successes and what was actually happening in my home were so different. I teased that I was on the floor crying because a chair was too overwhelming. Mm. And on the floor of my kitchen, crying, the voice in my head was saying, you aren't good enough for this. 
40 under 40 called, they want their award back. It is a disservice to entrepreneurship to even use that title for yourself because entrepreneurs actually make money. It was ugly. And what I recognize is when I ask somebody, how would you talk to me? And I, I use this in my speeches. I use that exact example. And I say, how would you talk to me if I called you from the kitchen floor, if we were friends and I called you? They'd say, oh, that sounds awful. Hang in there. How are you, you know, what's going to help you get up from the kitchen floor? What's the next smallest step you can take? They would use a tone of compassion and kindness. And then I asked them, okay, well, now imagine it's you on the kitchen floor. What does it sound like between your ears if you're in my situation? And the juxtaposition between, yeah. and then I teased, I was like, oh, did it involve an expletive, right? Maybe more than one. Yeah. Because we're essentially cursing ourselves out in our heads and using hurtful language, this holding ourselves to such high standards. And the work that I do on self-compassion, on navigating our emotions is, is so often through connection. And through that personal vulnerability, that if I share that story, maybe somebody else is going to feel less alone. Yeah. Maybe someone else is going to recognize in themselves that, that same disconnect between how we would talk to someone else and how we're talking to ourselves. And what I've witnessed is in the communities I lead, we're coming from this place of deep um, care for one another, which allows us to care deeply for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to take a breath. <laughs> My goodness, Lilia. Um, you know, I think we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all had our version of crying on the kitchen floor. And so I have to thank you for sharing that and for reminding us that you know, we, we wouldn't speak to a friend in the way that we often speak to ourselves. And, you know, as we are wrapping up our time together and wrapping up this incredibly powerful conversation that's taken us on a journey from a misplaced notebook to being kind to yourself, I would love to know Looking back at 20-year-old Lilia, you know, what comes to mind as a piece of advice that you would give her? I don't have to be serious to be taken seriously. Yeah. I found myself this year as Laura Sanders took me through the most fun rebranding process imaginable. (laughs) That the playful, what has been described as childlike exuberance yes, that I have is not something that can that takes away from the work I do. That in fact, the joy and laughter is baked into what I do and it's why people come to me. I now in the website copy that I am so lovingly uh, working on, I have language that says we are playful and powerful AF. Yes. (laughs) And that you can be both and that there is space for both. And 
you know, I don't have to have my business lady disguise on to be taken seriously. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Lilia, thank you so, so much for joining me today for this interview, for sharing your expertise, but also sharing your perspective and your experience living through the things that you now teach others and that you now use to help others design the life that they dream of and live the life that they dream of. So if, if anyone listening is interested in staying in touch and I know many will be, where can we find you and how can we be friends? Let's be friends for sure. (laughs) So my um, full name is Lelia Gowland. That's L-E-L-I-A-G-O-W-L-A-N-D. And that is my website URL, my Facebook, my Instagram. I, I'm in maybe my Twitter. I literally don't know. So please don't find <laughs> me on Twitter. I just use it to complain. Or I use it to figure out, like, is Squarespace down today? That's right. where I use uh, Twitter. So I would love to be in touch. I share resources and have loads of free events. And if you want deeper support, I lead communities of women that are prioritizing, investing in themselves and one another, building that sense of vulnerability and connection so that we can increase our impact. And if that's of interest to you, I would love to be in touch. So the the easiest way to get to my website is my book website, which is negotiationfun.com which is a whole lot easier to spell than Lilia Gowland. So it will take you right to liliagowland.com if you go to negotiationfun.com. Awesome. And I will be sure to link all of this up in the show notes so you can head straight there, click, click, boom, and then go find Lilia and learn more about her, her, how she follows the sparkle, her ta-da lists, and all of the amazing work and impact that she's creating. Lilia, thank you again so much for joining me today. This has been just epic. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll start at the way I close it. Can you hear my face? I am so <laughs> smiley. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for creating the space. Of course. Well, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. And there you have it. Y'all, I just about lost it when Lilia shared her story of overwhelm from her kitchen floor. I mean, how many of us have been there at some point in our lives? I loved this episode and Lilia's book because it completely reframed my mindset when it comes to negotiating. I also loved her term brave co's for brave conversations. Definitely going to have to use that. You can find links to keep in touch with Lilia and grab your copy of You Got This, The Ultimate Guide to Negotiation for Professional Women over in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 65. And before you go, let me tell you about next week's episode. Next week's episode, episode 66, is all about getting smart about goal setting. Back in episode 61, we talked about five common mistakes we often make when setting our New Year's resolutions. 
That episode touched on the concept of how being specific with your resolutions is just one key to sticking with them for the long haul. So in episode 66, we'll take a closer look at SMART goals, what they are, how to set them, why they work, and how they can help you be more intentional than ever about how you spend your time. Get excited. It's going to be a good one. And if you're looking to jumpstart your year with intention, a power hour coaching session is just what you're looking for. I've opened a limited number of one-on-one coaching spots in January and February before I head into maternity leave hibernation in March. Picture this, you, me, and one solid hour to dive in and tackle your biggest time management challenge or create that plan you need to stick to your resolutions and smash your goals in the new year. Plus, you'll get unlimited accountability access to me for two full weeks after our power hour for when you need extra support and a sounding board. There are only a few of these power hour spots available, and you can head straight to AnnaDCornick.com forward slash work with me to book your power hour before all the spots fill up. And by the way, this is the last opportunity to work with me one-on-one until later this year when I come back from maternity leave. So don't miss out on this opportunity to work with me now and design your fresh start. One more time, that's AnnaDCornick.com forward slash work with me. And you know, I'll be sure to link that in the show notes as well. All right. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.